Dead Aim by Thomas Perry Narrated by Michael Kramer Copyright 2002 by Thomas Perry This unabridged audiobook is published by arrangement with Random House, an imprint of the Random House Publishing Group, a division of Random House Incorporated, and was produced in the year 2010 by Tantor Media Incorporated, which holds the copyright there too. Dedication To My Father, Richard Perry Chapter 1 The shot was an explosion that spewed a shower of bright sparks from the pistol's muzzle into the darkness and kicked the barrel upward, but the arm of the shooter quickly straightened to level it again. The shooter fired the second and third shots into the lighted interior of the car, and the late-night silence returned. After a few seconds, crickets began to chirp tentatively again from nearby yards. There were three holes punched through the rear window of the car, and even from his vantage across the alley behind the shooter, Parrish could see that Mark Romano's head had been pounded forward, and the windshield had been sprayed nearly opaque with his bright red blood. Parrish watched as one of the women gently but firmly placed her arm around the shooter's left shoulder and took the gun from the right hand. The waiting escape car rolled up, and within a few heartbeats the shooter had been hustled into the back seat. Parrish leaned in to speak softly to the driver. Go ahead. We'll finish up here. The car moved off down the alley with its lights still out. Parrish walked into the garage, stopped by the side of Romano's car, and bent to stare into the still-lighted interior at the bloody face to be sure there was no possibility of life. He reached across the body to the dashboard and took the remote control unit. He closed the car door, stepped out of the garage, and pushed the remote control button to bring the door down to cover the scene. As he turned, Spangler emerged from the darkness at his side and pointed at the back of a house down the alley. There was a face in that window for a second. Better take care of it before we go, whispered Parrish. They haven't had enough time to get the shooter out of the area. The two men walked quickly and silently up the alley. They were both tall, but they moved toward the house with a surprising ability to blend into their surroundings, passing through each shadowy space beside the garages, moving along rows of garbage cans to make their shapes get lost to the eye among the many others in the dark alley. The house was two lots down from Mark Romano's. They had waited for a night when the nearest neighbors were away, so the face could not have seen much from that window— beyond the six-foot cinder-block wall that separated the alley from the yard. Parrish and Spangler moved to the wall, barely glancing at each other, as though they had done this so many times that each knew the steps, neither needing to check where the other was. In seconds, Parrish was up and over the wall into the yard behind the house, and Spangler had made his way along the fence beside it. As Spangler went over the fence and dashed up the low steps toward the kitchen door, he could hear Parrish breaking the glass in the window at the back of the house. And he hit the door with his shoulder before the musical sound of glass hitting the floor inside the house had stopped. The door flew inward, cracked into the wall, bounced, and swung back. But Spangler was already across the small kitchen, his gun drawn, slipping up the hallway toward the back bedroom at a run. He went low, held his pistol ahead of him, and stepped into the doorway. He saw a man in boxer shorts standing inside the room, leaning against the wall, both hands on an aluminum baseball bat, 
waiting for Paris to try to climb in through the broken window beside him. Spangler fired once into the man's chest as Parrish fired twice through the window into the room. Spangler's head spun so he could see what Parrish had shot. It seemed at first that it was just a lump in the blanket, but then Spangler saw the telephone cord leading from the nightstand under the covers. He tore the blanket and sheet aside to reveal the body of the woman, the telephone receiver still clutched in her hand. He moved to the window, pulled the sash up, and stepped back to let Parrish climb in. Parrish glanced at the man on the floor as he hurried to the bed where the woman lay. He snatched the telephone from her fingers, put it to his ear, and smiled as he set it in its cradle. Dial tone. She hadn't gotten the call off yet. Close, though, said Spangler. He turned to go. Not yet. He nodded at the dead man below the window. That day.